estás enojada guys welcome to musical osmosis where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality i am your musically magnanimous host nick the saucy one cat source broadcasting to you as always from the top of meth mountain tennessee and on this lovely snowy day i also want to introduce my procussively proficient co-host calling all the way in from charm city maryland it's my pal odell hey what's going on nick so what's up, man? Um, I think we did a show two weeks ago, and it was nice and sunny out, and now it's snowing. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like last from week. Summer to winter within three days. Three days. Three days. It was uh, in the uh, low seventies here a few days ago, and now it was barely above freezing uh, today. Well, I got some <laughs> good here. news for you. There's no such thing as climate change, so we're going to be open. No, it's all never. a Chinese hoax. It's so just all historic events flying. that happen every day. Ha, history. <laughs> Who believes history? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, from July until now, it's been the hottest months every single time until now. I mean, why would that's not new? Come on. History is fake no. news. Let me tell you, some asshole with nine <laughs> followers on YouTube, he's got the real scoop. That's it. That's it. <laughs> he knows all the ins and outs of the deep state and the Illuminati. Don't listen to history. Oh, yes. Who wrote those? <laughs> all right, um, D, who do we got? Well, we don't really have a lot coming up on the show because we're slowing down for the holidays, right? Yes, we are. We, like everyone else, uh, have families, and we like to spend time with them. So that's what we're going to do. But we are rolling up on our 100th episode, so we'll be kicking 2020 off with the big 100. Can you believe it? Yes. 100. 100 episodes. Unbelievable. I know. Hopefully I can get past the 100-episode curse, because I did 107 of Ignorance Equation and 104 of Kettle of Fish. So let's hope Ah. Osmosis can get way past 107. We're 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 on a good roll. We're on a We're on a good roll. We are, and we've got Dylan Thomas coming on soon, too, and he's from the Dickies and 45 Grave and a bunch of other great projects, too. Yes. King Cotton, uh, Max Collins from Eve Six, all he's played with everybody. 
All righty. Oh, yeah. uh, Dee, anything else? Oh, tell everybody where they can find us online, and then we'll get tonight's guest in here. Of course. Just in case you're somehow finding this somewhere other than your favorite podcast player, you can find us there. Uh, you can also find us on musicalosmosis.com. And not just our podcast. Oh, no. We have music reviews. We have videos. We have um, some special dates coming up. Um, as some of you may know, we are going to be participating in the Circle of Eyes musical play by Katie McKell, and we are going to perform be performing that in New York Winterfest in February. So I'm super excited about that. And we um, just found out our friend April is now got a bit yes. role in that as well. What so do you think, Odell? April's doing that with us. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yes. So that's going to be crazy. And we are going to, we are working on a super major, like you will not believe your brain, guest for the 100th episode. So definitely keep an eye on everything musical osmosis i want five special outrageous insane guests for the 100th episode can we do five <sighs> i guess <laughs> all right we'll see what happens all right we ready for tonight's guest yes yes all righty tonight's guest truly runs the musical spectrum going back 40 plus years from his early punk days in the plugs to his more formulated music with the cruzados and his current project tito and tarantula Tar i always have trouble saying that word tarantula and so many other great movies and bands in between a true musician's musician tito loriva tito what's happening Hello, guys. Hey, hello, Tito. Hello. I guess it's cold over there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just a, just a little. It's cold here. <laughs> and Odell's in B-more. Hey, man, before we get started, I got to oh. get this out in the open. That Plugs mm -hmm. album, Electrify Me, I just got to tell you, that is one of the great underrated punk albums of that first wave of early punk. Yeah. It is crazy to me that album doesn't get more attention. Thank you. Um, I don't know uh, I, why I think it doesn't get any attention because I only made I only made a few of those. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're on the Repo many. Man soundtrack, and that's a huge deal in the punk yes. community. For yeah, that was, punk that was like cool. Us. Yeah, that was cool. And uh, I get uh, Alex um, Alex Cox was a, a fan of our groups. And he was studying film at UCLA, and he was one of the gaffers. We did a video there early on, I think, 77 or 78. And uh, and then much later, when he was doing the movie in 1980, I think, when he was getting ready, he, he called me. We got together and talked about, you know, things we liked. And then he asked me to score the film and uh, then took some songs from the second album, actually and put them in the film as well. But it was great oh, wow. experience for me. I had scored a film before. I did a, a Jonathan Demi film, early Jonathan Demi film. And then I, you know, did this one, but this one was so cool. It was uh, very different. I had a, you know, I conducted to the screen, that kind of thing. And it was the first time I ever did something like that. Oh, wow. Being that first experience and looking back, because you scored and have been involved in so many movies from like Roadhouse, um, Desperado, mm -hmm. of course, Dust to Dawn. That's the one a lot of Dust people know you yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. Um, was Repo Man mm -hmm. a totally different experience? And what's the one thing that stands out in your mind about that experience? Well, I think 
like doing, you know, having the band and the strings and all of the, the arrangements that we did, working them out, you know, in real time to the film, like the timing of, of the uh, tracks are actually, I'm calling the shots as the, you know, as the final cut was being projected on the screen. So it has kind of a, a really, uh, kind of old fashioned feeling, I guess, uh, old style uh, filmmaking where you're actually hitting this, these moments in, you know, while you're watching it. So there's not like a click or something like that going on. And that was a great experience uh, for me because later as, uh, you know, I, I went on to score uh, uh, quite a few films. This really helped me uh, kind of like decide, well, you know, this is how I like to do it. This is what I like about filmmaking is that it can be organic. <clears throat> I, I don't know if I actually thought of it in that way, but, you know, right. I was feeling that. Now, in hindsight, that's what I was feeling. But um, right on, and he, it was just a, yeah. just a great experience overall. Alex Cox really knew what he wanted. That really helped. I didn't know that till later, as I worked with other directors. Lots of them don't have a clue, and they don't know what they want. <laughs> and that makes it more <laughs> difficult because you you write something and then you bring it in, and everybody sits around, and uh, the producers and everybody has an opinion. And then the script girl goes, I like it. And then they all say, I like it too. Oh, man. <laughs> but, you know, but when you have someone like Quentin or Robert Rodriguez or Alex Cox, they say, no, no, this is, this is what I want. You know, um, then it makes it so much easier and you can attack it in a different way. And I think you can see that uh, in relation to the movies too. So when you're like watching the movies, the, the, the score fits so well with it. It's like, it's not, it's not contrived. It's not something that's just added in to be added in. It, 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 right. it almost that's takes right. a, a key part of the movie as well. And I know you, um, yeah, like all those you, scenes, all those scenes where they're opening the trunk and that yeah. kind of synthesizer. Oh and yeah. The, uh, the little yeah. Scene, all of that, all of that is conducted to those moments. And so you, when you watch it again, or like when he's running and he throws up under the bridge, I'm literally, you know, telling the band slow down with his feet or, you know, he's going to throw up here, hit the Charlie, hit the, hit the kick drum, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and it really made the film kind of fun in, in, in many ways when I watched it on screen because of that, it, it just had a, an organic thing going on. That's awesome. Let me ask and you I know, this too. Like, oh, go well, ahead. Let me ask you this, because me and Odell come from the punk world, and just kind of reading up on you and seeing a list of great punk bands that you played with in those early days, Black Flag and the mm -hmm. Descendants, Minutemen before mm -hmm. they were even Minutemen. Um, do you right. miss, because you, you play such a different form of music now, do you miss the energy of those punk days? And is there any chance somewhere down the road of some kind of plug <laughs> re plugs reunion? Well, yeah, I... I it's funny. I don't know if I miss it. To me, it's been all one kind of thread that goes through the whole ah. thing because uh, being part of that uh, very important, I guess, moment in, in LA and, and just in general in the punk scene, uh, you learn something about, you know, being able to say what you want or 
say fuck you when it's not working <laughs> you know uh, you weren't afraid you weren't afraid to say that and not only in music but in art and in film obviously and and all the other art forms there was a revolution going on and you learn something from that so you take that with you in every uh you know in every genre that you live through i guess because you're going to go through all these decades of you know changing your ideas and uh, but, uh, for example, when I just got off a tour, a 33-date uh, tour in Europe, and when I get off, you know, when I come home, I'm exhausted, but I'm, I feel good because I know I gave that kind of fuck you attitude and energy to what I'm doing. The music maybe is different only because I've evolved or changed. Uh, and, uh, you know, but it still has that same thing that I guess was a gift to a lot of artists during that time. But let me talk about that too, because that's one of the most interesting things I find about Mm -hmm. you is you started with the plugs. It's a very hard driving three chord punk band. Um, Then the Cruzados kind of starts evolving that sound. And then up until Mm -hmm. today with Tito and Tarantula, and you've had so much evolution of sound. I guess one I wanted to ask you, what's well, a two-part question. I'll ask you the first part. Um, did you have a fan base that stayed with you through that whole evolution? Or were kind of the like punk kids once um, Cruzado started changing their sound around? Were they kind of like, well, screw this, we're out? Or did you right. have fans that right. stayed through that whole journey with you? Well, I, I did. I, I have fans that, uh, you know, kind of stuck with me the whole way. And, and incidentally, in the beginning, in 70, I guess, 78 or 77, I was also a founding member of the Flesh Eaters. Me and Chris yes, that's started right. the Flesh Eaters. Oh, yes, yes. And, and, and Joe Nanini, who was in my band originally, we took him into the Flesh Eaters. And then I quit the Flesh Eaters and Stan Ridgeway took my place. And Joe and Stan started Ball of Voodoo. And I don't know if you were fans of Wall of Voodoo, but I, I thought they were uh, an amazing band. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Odell then, may have uh, been. Cr- That's a little bit out of my field of what I listen to. Odell, were you a Wall of Voodoo uh, fan? Uh, a little bit. I we like. Unfortunately, over here, it was so hard to like on the East Coast side to get a lot of that. Um, that that I only heard Wall of Voodoo just through just through passing moments uh, from friends right. of other friends right. and whatnot. Yeah. Yep. Right. And then, uh, you know, later when Chris went to work with, for Slash, I have yep. a record company and I put out some, a few punk records that I produced. And one of them was the Gun Club, but I couldn't finish it. I ran out of money. So I went to Chris and actually I went to Slash and I said, I want to put this out. I don't have any more money. You guys want to do it. And they, they weren't interested, but Chris was. And Chris said, you know, I'll start a new label which started Ruby Records, of course, later, mm. you know, the rest is history, Misfits, and all of that. Yes. But, uh, but that first Gun Club record was actually something that we were going to release on our, uh, our label and couldn't. But uh, I don't know if you guys were fans of the Gun Club either. That was, you know, later, I guess they got really popular in France or something. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but but a, lot was, a lot was happening, uh, you know, in those three you know first three years there was a lot going on with not only music but art and you know i was part of the Wee herman show and all of that was yeah you know part of that whole thing 
and it was just like a boom. It's like every day there was something new. There was some new band. There was some new, you know, art opening or something. It was it was a great time. I bet. So Tito, when uh, you mentioned Pee Wee Herman and and your and your and your role on that was when did you start acting? When was when when did you start? To, was it before you were doing scores, or was it as you were doing scores, or was it even earlier than that? It was earlier than that. I was um, in high school. I was the president of my drama club. I got a scholarship to go to university as an actor. And I also did uh, other things. Uh, um, I, I believe it or not, I was a ballet dancer. My girlfriend was a ballet ballerina. At, oh, wow. At 15, I, I, I was in a ballet company. So I was always on stage since I can remember. And I was always doing, um, you know, whatever was creative, I was involved. The punk punk scene, when I got to, actually, I got to L.A. because of uh, this woman. I was living in Mexico City, and she saw me perform. Mm-hmm. And she she worked for uh, this guy, Gary Stromberg, who she was married to Mark Bowman from T-Rex. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she's the one that took me to L.A. Once I got there and I, I went to my first punk show, which was the first punk show at The Mask, that twisted my head around, and then I just decided I don't care about anything else that I know. I want to do this. <laughs> right. <hold laughs> on. The, acting, the acting kept rearing its head. I kept, you know, getting parts in plays or television shows or things like that. So I kept doing that. You were in a variety wow. show in Mexico City, right? When you were very young. Yeah. Yes. I was 19 and I, I started this, um, I won a contest, believe it or not, on television, <laughs> kind of like, a, you know, a, you know, the shows they have on TV now that I never watch. But, you know, those shows <laughs> where people audition, they sing on. Oh, TV. like AGT, so I, I got you. Yeah. Yep. And you keep coming back. Well, I did one of those in Mexico City and I won a, a record deal and all this stuff. And they offered me a TV show. So I created this show and I did the pilots. I did three of them. And that's when I met June Boland from uh, Mark Boland's wife. And mm-hmm. she worked for Pink Floyd and, and uh, Alton John and all those people. And so I left Mexico City and they, they continued the show. They got another person to take over it. And they, the show became very successful. Wow. But How I do I see those episodes with you on it? Well, I don't know if you can. I wish I had copies of them because there were three of them. And then when I left, I abandoned the whole thing. I'm sure they weren't happy about it. They had to get another guy. So I don't even know if they aired them. Uh, oh, wow. But that was, that was 1973, uh, no, 74, something like that. Um, uh, and there was, you know, I did a lot of press and, and you know, I was on covers of magazines because the show was getting ready to be uh, a premiere. And then I abandoned the whole thing to go out. How does that come about? Do you tell them or do you just kind of disappear in the night? Like, how does that process even work? I did, I, that's funny you say it like that. I literally disappeared in the night. She, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. She, bought me. she was a lot older than me. She was a lot older than me. She was 30, 37 years old. And she, uh, oh, wow. she just said, you know, you're coming with me. And when we got to LA, this is a crazy story. She picked me up at the airport in a Mercedes convertible Mercedes, and we drove to Pink Floyd's house in Beverly Hills. 
because they were getting oh. ready to do a tour. So I'm, I'm 19 years old. I'm standing in their mansion <laughs> and their wives are out in the pool without tops on. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just, um, <laughs> what do you tell your friends back home? I mean, did they even believe an experience? They, yeah, like they're like, yeah, yeah. They're like, all right, Tito. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and well, <laughs> we did. We we did. She did come to El Paso because you know I, I I was born in Mexico, but I grew up in El Paso, Texas. She did come with mm -hmm. me to El Paso, Texas, and meet my parents and everything. And. She was on her way to London to get a divorce with Mark. And then we flew back to L.A. She left and uh, Mark died. I, I was watching it on television in, in the hotel I was staying in. And then I called yeah. her and she she was totally bonkers. But and that's how I ended up being there. I had no money. I had, didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. She was <laughs> nuts. She wasn't coming back for me. And uh, anyway, I ended up, you know, staying there. Man, you have such an amazing wow. history. I'm going to dig into Ooh. your history in a minute. I want to get back to the sound thing because this is something I'm really fixated on. And I mm -hmm. we have bands mm -hmm. on here. Like we'll have um, Scott Hill from Fu Manchu. And that's a band that's had pretty much the same consistent sound for 25, 30 years. And then we get a cat like yeah. you on here whose sound is so evolving. It's always changing to different degrees, sometimes quantum leaps, sometimes slate degrees. But you're always in flux sound-wise. Is this because you're just looking for that thing that'll break through? Are you easily bored? Well, why is it such a constant, <laughs> like you think, change of sound where other bands just kind of fall into their pocket and stay there? Right, right. I I don't know. I, I think for me it's natural to not think of it in terms of a style as opposed to um, – what it's like walking through the forest it's constant they're all trees but they're constantly they're not all the same <laughs> they're all bent, bending in in different directions and for me mm -hmm. it's it music music and art in general is kind of like that and because i i did many different things i think it's easy for me to detach myself from you know genres i guess if you for lack of a better word um, also, working in film and theater, um, things change constantly. They're always That's evolving. That's a good point. Directors want a certain style, um, and you, you know, it's not your, you're part of it, but it's not your thing. So you, you try to, you know, go to the heart and the core of what the person is searching for. And this, this search, this kind of voyage to find that. It it you you get used to it and you get used to rejection. You get used to guys saying, "No, that's not what I want." And you worked on it for a week or two weeks, and then you have to just throw it away oh, and not wow. even think about it anymore because you'll you'll you know it'll rip your guts out. That's it'll eat, yeah, it'll eat you up. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's almost uh, it's almost very simple. It's like when I when I do my records, it's do I like this? right now <laughs> you know is this good right now i don't i don't put it together as you know like a style or 
it's just me. It's what I'm in what I'm into at that moment. See, I've never thought and of then, it that way. And now I kind of think of it. Now you've, you've switched my, um, you've shifted my perception here, Tito. Cause I used to kind of mm-hmm. think of it as this binary thing where you just go down this road or that road. But now I'm thinking of it like you're more of a person. There's people whose hair starts turning gray and they, they're fighting it and they're dying their hair like me. I'll, I would go totally gray in a year if I didn't <laughs> dye my hair. And you're just letting your hair naturally turn gray and evolve maturely into things where assholes like me are fighting. I'm still trying to look 30 <laughs> at 48 because I just I need that. I can't let go of my youth yeah. or for whatever hang up I have. But you're just right. naturally <laughs> progressing. So thank you. Yeah, you've totally, like I said, shifted my perception on this. Yeah. So I learned well, something I will, tonight. I, I will admit I dye my mustache. <laughs> well, there you go. We're hair dye brothers. Mustache hair dye. Right? Sorry to get hairy when but you say I won't. Like that. I won't. I won't stage dive anymore. I don't. You know. Yeah, Iggy Pop said yeah. he just quit at um, get... seventy. What is he? Seventy six, and he said he finally is done with stage diving. Oh my gosh! I can oh, only I, imagine. I, I I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, play with him in in Europe. Actually, we we were doing these tours, and he happened to be on it, and I. I couldn't believe it. His band, they look like wimps. He was so, and they were all, you know, <laughs> at least 30 years, 30 years younger than him. And I just thought, wow, that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. All right, let's dig into your history because you are a bit of a man of mystery, elusive on the internet. I see all these different things about you. It's like nailing jello to a wall. I don't know what to fucking believe. So let's kind of start at the beginning here. You told us a little bit about your history, and I've got a couple um, bullet points here I want to hit because, like I said, there's mm-hmm. so many different factors in your history. Mm-hmm. Kind of just give us the Reader's Digest version of your upbringing. <laughs> Did you have a pretty good like home? Was everybody supportive? Did you come from a musical family? Uh, no, it wasn't a musical family, but my parents, when they were very young, uh, we went to Alaska. I was three months old, and we lived literally on a mountaintop in Grandview, Alaska. For uh, my dad hunted up there and sold pelts. Oh wow! You know, like fox, fox wow, tails so he's like a trapper, skin. like an old yeah. school trapper. And, yeah, and he was really young. Uh, he was uh, in his early twenties, and my mom was also. And it was just okay. me and my mother and my sister and my father up in this mountain for three years we literally knew no humans my father would uh, oh, wow. skate on a little river into town which the nearest town was fairbanks and it was 50 miles of skating on the river to take his stuff there like with ice but, skates uh, yeah your father would ice skate 15 miles down a river and back they like get a gallon of milk 50 50 50 50, 50. Oh, yeah it's alaska it's Alaska. It's big. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we were there in the fi- <laughs> we were there in the fifties. When on my mother, uh, when my mother died, she brought us all in. There was eight of us, and she she said, "Okay, now I'm going to tell you why we went to Alaska." Because nobody could get an answer out of my father. He would never say anything. Like, why were Mexicans? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, going to Alaska. 19- yeah, in 1954, it's 53, in Alaska, uh, my mother said uh, my dad had to leave Juarez, Mexico. So we snuck across the border, got 
got a ticket and were there. My father went before we did, but apparently oh, wow. some, okay. there was some, some, something that he did that we had to leave town. His uncle was the chief of police of Mexico and got him out of prison and got him across the border and gave him a ticket. This uh, jobby, this so-called jobby had on the top of the mountain, there was a train that went through there, a government train with soldiers that came through every two weeks. And he, he was in charge of switching the track. So the train would go either to Fairbanks or to Anchorage. And uh, it was still a territory. It wasn't a state. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it became a state in a for, 40, the, it became the 49th state in 1959, I think. But we were up there hiding, I guess. <laughs> How Holy have you not come out with an autobiography, autobiography now? This is crazy. You need a movie. I mean, there have been less <laughs> interesting people who have had films about them. And you're in the film world. It sounds like it's about time, you know. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe I, uh, maybe I should write it down. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, amazing thing, the, ama- <laughs> the amazing thing is my father took thousands of photos, and and we have pretty much the whole thing documented on photographs. Um, a bear broke into our house. He shot him through the head. Uh, he made a coat out of it for my mom. Made my mother wear it and reenact the whole thing, and took pictures of all of it. <laughs> Oh my god. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Nick, I will never wear a coat made of a bear you I used to be proud that I told my crazy McKees Porghetto stories. Tito is putting me to shame. Tito, Tito, yeah, this is this is incredible. Well, it you have to understand it's really cold up there and you know, wearing a bear coat, you know, is almost required, so uh, True, and it was in the fifty in the fifties. I don't think they had fake fur yet, or maybe they did. And, and it definitely wasn't <laughs> jumping through your window. Yeah, yeah. I Either think way. we ate him too. That, yeah, of course. Anything else would just. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty. Sure, I'm pretty sure we ate we ate the bear, but <laughs> okay. waste not, want not. I always say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm afraid to even ask you this next question. And so I read um, something on the internet that said you actually went to high school with Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, the famous serial killer from, I guess it was the 70s, 80s. Um, and you and one of the songs that you wrote, "Killing Just for Fun," is actually based on him. Is that true? Or yeah. Is that some internet thing. No, that's that's true. Well, he went to Thomas in high school. In El Paso, Texas, and I had geography with his sister, uh, the one he sent the finger to with a box of money, in a box of money. Um, yes. <laughs> but um, my um, my wife's sister actually had classes with him, um, and I remember him. He was real quiet, <laughs> and he always had that baseball cap, and you couldn't really, he would never look at you. And uh, one one afternoon, or one morning, actually, when they caught him in L.A., I saw it on television. And, uh, you know, they were talking about him. I went, oh, my God, that's that kid. <laughs> so Holy I, moly. Immediately got my guitar and wrote this song. Um, are you sorry? I think I dropped my phone. No, no, we're still here. Oh, no, no, we're, so... well, we're good. Did it come out while he was still alive? Has he heard it? Did he hear it before he died? 
Oh, that's a good question. I, I really don't know. I, uh, I wrote two songs. One's called Strange Face of Love. That was the first one I wrote. And that one we recorded. Well, actually, we never re- uh, we might have recorded it with the Crusados. Can't remember now. But uh, then there was Killing Just for Fun, which was later, which I, we did record. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I unplugged my phone here by accident. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah. So let me hear oh, yeah. Yeah. another oh, crazy yeah. okay. um, factoid about you. And I didn't even know this was a thing. And it says it's with the plugs. You guys um, performed for an adult film for a porno for New Wave Hookers and New Wave Hookers, the sequel, New Wave Hookers 2. How did that even come about? Because I always assumed adult movies like just had some kind of pan music, stock music that they mm-hmm. used. I didn't know that they actually hired professionals to make music for adult films. That's just fucking bizarre to me. How did that come about? Uh, that came about, believe it or not, because of the Pee Wee Herman show. <laughs> ah! I believe that. <laughs> it all ties back to Pee Wee. <laughs> yep. <And> all words lead to Pee Wee. Pee Wee's fault. One of the producers, uh, Donna Kaufman, she um, she also worked with the residents and had something to do with the film Cafe Flesh. I don't know if you guys know about that film. Cafe Flesh was a, a porn film, but it was a quote-unquote art porn film. And Wall of oh, Voodoo, I think, speaking of Wall of Voodoo, I think they scored it. I'm, I'm not sure it was Wall of Voodoo, but I think it was. And she had something to do with that. So she came to me because I was... Um, I produced the Pee Wee cast album and we were in the studio and she said, would you be interested in doing this, you know, porn film, but it's an art film. And I said, because, uh, you know, they had already done cafe flash and it was kind of a cool thing. Everybody was talking about it. I said, sure. Yeah. I'd love to do that. So I meet the guys and, you know, he's telling me about the, the plot, <laughs> whatever the plot was. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Anyway, so I that's say important, yes to right? To know the plot, yeah, so was, you can write a problem. There was a plot. There was, yeah. Anyway, so I said yes. Donna Kaufman calls me a couple of days later and says, "You know what? I just found out this is coming from the Dark Brothers Productions. This is not a art film. This is straight up porn." And I and she said, "Get out of it." And I said, "Well, I already took the money." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too late. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he had get, he had given me the check and you know blah blah blah, and I I needed the money then, and so I went ahead and did it. I scored the film, and then I also put a couple of the plug songs in it. Right, and I think I happened. saw like Electrify Me or something like the New Wave Hookers version, and add all these synthesizers, yeah. and it was fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's <laughs> crazy. I actually one of the tracks. Uh, uh, Captain Beefheart's drummer played on it, and the keyboard player that was in Fragment Sappa, which I can't remember his name now, and uh, the bass player Fowler, they <laughs> they played on it. <laughs> I knew them because of this kid Paul Young, who was uh, Beefheart's road manager. But what's really strange, I'll fast forward, you know, many years. This kid calls me and he says, "I'm a big, I'm writing a screenplay, and I'm a big fan of New Wave Hookers." And I'm writing a, a story about that film at that time. And that was Boogie Nights. I met the guy at his house. Holy he crap. He had a big poster of, of uh, New Wave Hookers on his ceiling. 
<laughs> and unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, yeah, and he's asking me all these questions like, you know, what was going on during that time and blah 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 blah. And later it turns out it was this, you know, it was this kid and it was Boogie Nights. That is insane. That's and I remember unbelievable. there was controversy wow. around that film with Tracy Lords because supposedly she was either yes. underage or right at the cusp and they had to pull it and reshoot it or something. So yes. that film itself yes. had a lot mm-hmm. of controversy around it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it, it went on to win best, you know, in Vegas, they have their awards and they it won yeah. best uh, mu- music in a porn film <laughs> and best <laughs> porn film of the year. And our uh, Paul Young, the, the guy that got uh, uh, this friend of mine, he, I didn't want to go. He went to the award show and he, you know, got the dick, you know, they give you a big dick, you know, when you win. And he, he went <laughs> I did out not know after that. that. He went out celebrating and he picked up a hooker and it was a cop. And so he was in jail with this big dick. <laughs> <laughs> he got so oh my drunk. Uh, yeah, it's just, it was a crazy story. He called me crying, saying, I wish I shouldn't have come, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, awesome. speaking of plugs, we're going to play some plugs here, a gain and a loss, and we will be right back. D, take it away. We are back. Um, I, I want to tell you about this Salon article I read about you. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it kind of outlined your complete musical career. And I'm going through here, and I'm just blown away by how much just hardcore shit you've been through. And I'm sure that article only scratched the surface. It was only a couple pages long. But um, as you're looking back, it's just your long, strange journey through this musical world you've been in. Some of the stuff I've read about you and heard about, like in different interviews with you, you've got to think to yourself, man, dude, I can't believe I made it out alive. Like you have been through <laughs> some intense shit. Yeah, I, uh, I yeah, I don't know how, how I'm alive. I, 
but I, I've met people that went through worse. <laughs> True. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and they survived. I don't know. So I guess it's just luck of the draw because I mean, I'm reading about your history and there's so many people, I mean, there's so many people who have crazy intense histories like Jim Morrison and they don't make it out alive. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't make it past 27 or Brad Knoll from um, Sublime. I mean, just so many people have these rich, adventurous histories. And then you have people on the other end who come out the other end and look where you are today. You're doing great. Your band is a a very respected band. You're doing all this awesome stuff. And it's just crazy. I'm trying to get into your mind looking back at this. Do you think about it a lot or do you just kind of live day to day and keep looking forward? Uh, it's kind of like how I pr- approach the music. It's just whatever comes, I just either accept it or I don't, and I just keep going forward. I don't usually go back a lot and re- think about you know what I should have or could have done. Um, it, I I I I don't know. It's just I don't know where I got that from. Maybe my parents, you know, because it was a you know kind of a, a, a big family and you just got to go forward. You know, the kid shoots his eye out, one breaks his leg, the other one has his hair on fire and you just keep going. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, man, if you don't write a memoir, you're doing the world a disservice. You have got to write a memoir. Yeah, you got to get it down. Well, it's I amazing because like, like you were saying, Tito, it's, it's one of those things. It's like a constant learning experience. So it's almost like right. you can take this and added to this and then you're like okay then i moved to this and then i moved from that i moved to this and and it right. just plays out that way and it's amazing it's absolutely amazing this the just in these few minutes talking to you the stories that you've shared with us and it's just like oh my gosh and, and each time you've learned something from it and you've added it to to what you're doing now odell he's the only person i think i've met that's got crazier stories than my mckee sports stories Yes. <laughs> I've had drunks burst through, now, I've had drunks I, burst through my door, but never bears through my window. <laughs> well, I mean, just the people story. you've been, yeah, just the people you've been around. It's like, I, even uh, you were talking about, you know, acting and everything. And like, he even worked with B. Richard to uh, like, guess who's coming yeah. home to dinner is like my parents, one of my parents' favorite all time movies. And when, you know, I read and, 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 and I actually was watching an interview with you and you mentioned, I was like, Holy moly. I'm like, yeah. you know, you were like, yeah, I, I, I worked with her and did the, did play, you know, did a play and toured California with her. That's, those are amazing yeah, yeah. things that when you sit back she, and you look, she, like, man, she was a, an amazing, an amazing person. And she really helped me a lot and nurtured me in a way. She played my mother in this play that we did, which was kind of strange, but uh, she was uh, an amazing person. And I, I really That's learned awesome. a lot from her. That's awesome. All right, we got to start finishing up here, wrapping this up. Sure. Let's finish about talking about your new album. Came out a couple months ago, entitled Eight Arms to Hold You. Um, I had done a little reading on this, and I know that you had been working with your daughter on this album for the first time working with yeah. her, and your dad passed mm-hmm. away the first day of recording. So this had to be a totally yeah. different experience for you as far as the album-making process, right? Yes, it was uh, it was so, it was so crazy because one, uh, wrote, uh, me and my daughter wrote the whole record. We took a year to write it, and then uh, she has her own thing. But she, you know, mm-hmm. she's been playing with me for seven years, and uh, it just was a natural thing for us to start writing together because she had written on the 
the album that I released 12 years ago, Back Into the Darkness, she wrote four of the songs. So we wrote the whole thing, and then, I, I don't know, I had this feeling I wanted to do it in El Paso. My, my dad's there, my sisters are there, and I heard about this great studio. So I, I, I was uh, kind of obsessed with doing it there. The day we got there, we set up, and then my father passed. And uh, it was, yeah, it was crazy. And so, you know, my daughter, you know, her grandpa is gone and we're there all set up. We got the band with us. We live at the studio. It's this 37 acre ranch that this eccentric guy, Tony owns. And Mm -hmm. um, it's an amazing studio. So somehow we sucked it up and it seemed... uh, kind of strange like we were in another a parallel universe recording but this all this energy of my father's death was with us and uh wow you know it was so bizarre i can't even describe it i mean i didn't i didn't even remember recording it um (laughs) and of course the funeral happened but uh, a lot of weird things happened the day he died that day his house was robbed they stole his safe uh, all this crazy ass shit anyway, but, uh, we got through it somehow. And then it took me a year. I came home and it took me a year to kind of rethink what we did because all of a sudden the songs had a different meaning and the yeah. lyrics meant something right. else. It was so crazy. And, and they all kind of related to what was going on, it, you know, or at least in my mind. And uh, even my daughter, Lolita, was feeling those things, too. She immediately on the third day said, well, these songs mean something else. You know, they, they're not what we thought, you know, and um, without being too cosmic, it was, you know, it was, you know, a very special thing. And it's something I, 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 I will probably never go through again. But uh, we got through the record and uh, I accepted whatever it was that didn't happen because I had a different vision of it and and Mm -hmm. accepted what was there and finished it. I thought it was important. I almost didn't finish it. I was thinking I won't be able to finish it. I'm glad you did. And let me tell you, man, I totally, let me interject real quick. I totally believe in these supernatural connections because my cousin Pete died over the summer and he was more like my brother. We were raised together. I was closest with him than anyone in my family. And he used to collect these. He was an artist and he collected these magazines when we were little called cartoons, C-A-R dash tunes. And they had all these hot rods, crazy cartoons of hot rods. It was Uh like a mad magazine thing. And they discontinued Uh that magazine like back in the mid 80s when we were kids. And he loved collecting them. And I hadn't thought about that in years. And the last like maybe five years when I go into comic book stores, I'll be with Dee and I'll be like, hey, let me look and see if they have any of these cartoon magazines to send Pete because I know Pete loves them. I started thinking about them years ago and I could never find them everywhere I looked. They didn't have cartoons magazines. So I was doing this event for this actor friend of mine um, that I'm working with. And he was doing his, he wrote his memoirs and he was at Atomic Books in Baltimore. And I was running late mm-hmm. and I walk in and I put my arm, they had shelves of books, like, you know, standing up like comic books. Uh-huh. I put my arm down and I'm looking at um, William up front doing his thing. And I look over and my elbow is touching a stack of these cartoon magazines. <laughs> the day, yep. a, a day or two after he passes away. So I bought a few of them. I put one, 
you know, at where his urn was during the funeral, and I gave one to my brother. But this wasn't like I just out of sight, out of mind. I was actively looking for these cartoon magazines for years okay. for him to surprise him with. Never could find one. Two days after wow. he dies, I'm in a comic book store. I put my hand – it's a bookstore that sells comics. I put my elbow up on the shelf. I'm leaning against the shelf. I look to my right, there and there's there. a stack of them there. So, yeah, oh not to God. cut you off, Tito, but I totally relate no, to no, that. No. I totally sure. believe that people speak, at least at first, at least before they leave this plane and they're around for a little bit. I believe that people do send us those kind of messages. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I do, too. I have – yeah. That's crazy. I, were the are the cartoons or were they like kind of rat think like or yeah they were exactly rat think. Yes. That's yeah. What they are. Oh yeah. I, I loved those when I was a kid. Yeah, I I didn't remember it was called cartoons. Um, yeah, that's where the rat think comes from, and it's so bizarre yeah. that I'd been looking for those for so long, and then I saw them, and I just had this overwhelming feeling that that was Pete's last little. He had a really right. sarcastic sense of humor. And that it, like, it was like his last, like, yeah, fuck yeah, gotcha to me. And I believe that. So I can totally relate to what you're saying about your dad. I absolutely believe his energy was in that studio. Yeah. Oh. No. Yeah, it was. All right. Oh, well, well, let's wrap was, it up there. This is great. Um, oh, dude. Go, yes, Tito, this is awesome. Tell us what you got coming up and where everybody can find you on the interwebs. Well, uh, we're at titoandtarantula.com. Um, and we, uh, that's pretty much it. Tinotransload.com. You know, most of the, when we tour, we tour in Europe because we don't have a record company here or any support. And it's at my age, I don't want to get in a van. So in Europe, we can travel and, and you know, in style. Yeah, tour bus. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't play any American uh, dates, not even Texas? No. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, once, once uh, I, I think it's been, I mean, I did play Vegas and, and Los Angeles. We did three shows about three years ago, but we haven't played, you know, consistently in the U S for at least 22 years, but we go wow. every year we go to, uh, you know, Eastern Bloc countries. Like I played Russia 14 times. I've done Macedonia, Kazakhstan, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia, all those places we play uh, pretty much every year. And then we do Germany, Switzerland, you know, Austria, those, you know, Europe, Spain, Italy. And we do that every year. And we've been doing it for 22 years. So, um, I want to tour here. I want to do that. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to my wife when I got back. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do it, you know, just pick my favorite songs from, you know, the seventies, you know, like my favorite punk bands mm -hmm. and do like acoustic version of 10 of my favorite songs. And then, then I will go in a, maybe not a van, but in a car and, you know, go back to LA and play or go, you know, to New York or go, I don't know, somewhere and play these um, songs because I, I do miss it. I do miss that energy that, that time is so special for me uh, and my wife. We, you know, it kind of gave us our identity in a way, in the way we live our lives. And so I, I really want to kind of put a record out. And then I, I have the, I found the original mothers of Electrify Me. And uh, so I'm thinking of printing 500 
more copies <laughs> of from the original mothers. So it'll be the actual way the record was released wow. and just have, you know, another 500 pressed and sell them, I guess on our website. I don't know. Well, I got so, my hands uh, in a lot of punk rock pies. So if you end up doing that, let me know and I'll help you promote it. And if you make it out oh, to yeah? the Nashville, okay. Knoxville area, I'll definitely come out and yeah, see you. I, meet I, and yeah, as a matter of fact, you said Nashville. That's the pressing plant that I, I was thinking of driving over there with the mothers. And, and yeah. there's a pressing plant there that I, I was going to ask them to kind of make me a, you know, a, a, a test pressing to see if the integrity of the mothers are good. Um, you know, and I forget the name of the place, but it's supposed to be like old style, you know, pressing plant. It's probably down so on Music Row. Everything's down there. Yeah. It's kind I of think crazy. Jack White has something to do with it. He owns it. Oh. Yes, he does. Yes, yep. he does. Yes, he does. He ex- exactly does. He does. He's actually done a documentary from there, um, and, and like uh-huh. describing that whole place, and then the and then the press and everything down there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Oh, well, hey. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look that up. We got our next guest coming up. So Tito, once again, thank you so yeah. much. We had an amazing hey, time. Yeah, Such Tito. great stories. Stay in touch. Send me an email, man. I'm serious. I want to yeah. help you hey, get that plugs back out there. <laughs> Please. All righty, Tito. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Tito. Take care, man. You too, bro. All righty, guys. We are out. On to the next thing. Set the 